Good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you. Uh, my name is Alita, for those of you who I don't know. I'm one of the pastors here. And we are going to be in Psalm 121 today. But before we get there, let's just pray together, if you don't mind. Father, we are very grateful that we get to be together in the house of the Lord today, in your house. That we get to pause in the midst of our weeks and just take time to fix our eyes on you. And I pray that as we set aside this time, that it would be consecrated unto you, that it would be holy to you, that it would please you. Lord, I pray that the words out of this mouth this morning and the meditation of our hearts would please you, would honor you, that we would make much of you. Arrest our hearts where they need to be arrested. And Holy Spirit, we trust you to help us and do the good work that only you can do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, today we are continuing in our series through the Psalms. And just as a quick reminder, if you are just joining us for this series, uh, the, the Psalms are what we call the prayer book of the Bible. And this is because they teach us how to pray. They teach us how to pray through all the different terrains of life, all the different things that life might throw at us. And uh, highs, lows, uh, exciting things, the joys, the, the sorrows. I think it was John Calvin who called the Psalms the anatomy of the soul. Because when you read through them, it just shows through all these different authors who penned all these different Psalms, just unedited human emotion. It just shows raw human emotion. And as a human being who feels a lot of feelings on a regular basis, I so appreciate the Psalms and they have taught me how to pray. And so today we're looking at Psalm 121 and this is called a Psalm of Ascent. Another word that people use for it is called a pilgrimage Psalm. And we know that it's categorized this way because if you have your, your paper Bibles or even um, uh, your Bible on your phone, you would see that right in the text it says Psalm 121 and then there's a superscription underneath where it says a Song of Ascents. Now just this is just information that you don't necessarily need to have, but I want to offer it to you because I like to learn things. So there are actually 15 Psalms of Ascent in the book of Psalms, and they're actually all right in order. They're not scattered about in the book, and they start at Psalm 120, and they go to Psalm 134. And so, I don't know, in your, in your future walk with the Lord, if you're like, I just really want to read a, song of, a psalm of pilgrimage, uh, those are where you're going to find them, 120 to 134. Now, this group of psalms, or the reason this group of psalms, or this, these songs of ascent, um, are called this, is because in ancient Israel, the temple was located in Jerusalem. And so every year, the people of God, the Israelites, as part of their walk with the Lord, they would make their way to Jerusalem in order to celebrate some of their annual festivals. And these songs of ascent were the songs that they would sing along the way. Like as the people of God journeying on to Jerusalem on their road trip, they would sing these songs. 
And now, something that we may not know, um, but Jerusalem actually is located on top of a hill. So no matter where the people were coming from, whether you were a a bit more local or you were coming from, from farther away, no matter where people were coming from, they were literally having to go up or to ascend to Jerusalem in order to worship at the temple. And, and now the reason that the people would make this journey, uh, which by the way, was no small journey. This was not a small thing that they were deciding to do um, or that they chose to do. It meant packing up family or their, uh, their family and, and provisions that they would need for the journey. It meant packing tents and animals and to prepare for several days and sometimes several weeks away from home, depending on uh, what festival they were going to celebrate. And the reason, though, that they would make this decision, the reason they would make the decision to go on such a, what could be a strenuous, time-consuming journey, is because the temple in Jerusalem is where God's presence lived. Now, I'm going to nuance that a bit to say that the presence of God couldn't really be contained in a building either then or now, but um, this was a thing, God being, God's presence being located in the temple, this was a thing that God himself instituted as a gift to the people of God. It was symbolic of his presence here on earth. It gave them a place where they could go and cry out for help. It gave them a place where they could go and worship the, the God of, 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 their, um, of their nation and of their hearts in the same way that I don't, this is how I am. I was raised in the church. My dad is a pastor. But I just have this thing. Whenever we're, my family and I are driving anywhere, small town, big town, especially small towns though, when I see a little church on the side of the road, I always just think, oh, that's, I, I love it already. I haven't even been inside of it, but I love it already. It just feels like home to me. This is what the temple was like for them. However, this, this place where God's presence lived in the temple was actually located in what they called the Holy of Holies. And so there was the temple and there were all these outer courts and inner courts until finally when you got into the center, there was the Holy of Holies. And the presence of God was located behind a 60-foot curtain in the temple. And only one person, the high priest, only one person was allowed in there one time a year. And so the people of God would travel and get as close as they could to the presence of God. Um, I don't know if this analogy works, but I'm going to try it, okay? So we're going to see. Think about going to a concert or going to uh, a playoff game, whatever, I don't know if you're a sports person, but like, you know, NBA or NHL, and I still, I tried that in the first service, I still don't know any of the other acronyms, so I don't know, <laughs> whatever the, the baseball one is, but the point, you get it, okay? Let's just say you wanna go to one of these sporting events and it's a playoff game or a concert that you know is gonna be sold out, and so you go online and you're like, I'm gonna buy tickets. What we're probably going to do is we pull it up on our phone or on our computer or whatever. We're, tri- we're typically going to try to buy tickets to get as close to the front as we possibly can, right? As close to the stage or as close to the court or whatever the thing is. But as close as we could get or as close as we could afford is maybe a better way to say it. Those can be pretty pricey. Um, we made the mistake of telling our son that we would take him to an NBA game for his birthday and then looked at the prices after and we were like, oh. Maybe, how's a local game sound at a local high school? Anyways, still haven't followed through on that. But the point is, you're going to buy tickets, but let's say you buy your tickets. Even if you have nosebleed seats, 
typically you're just happy to be in the room. Like if it's a playoff game or this concert, you know, is going to be sold out, you're just happy that you're anywhere in the room, even if it's not the greatest seats. This is kind of, again, I told you, like loose analogy here. This is kind of what pilgrimage was like for the people of God. They knew that they couldn't get behind that curtain, that they weren't allowed, that only the high priest was. But even so, they were willing to do this pilgrimage, to go and go through all of this stuff to get as close as they possibly could to the presence of the living God. In other words, if that's where he is, that's where I'm gonna be. I may not be able to get all the way in, but I'm gonna get as close to him as I possibly can. And therefore, every inconvenience of their journey every hard thing about that travel, every putting up with, how long till we get there, mom and dad? All of that, every difficulty of the journey was seen in light of this purpose, this singular purpose, actually, that we are a people on pilgrimage to our God. We're going to him. Now, another thing that these Psalms of Ascent do is they serve as a metaphor for life. And I love this because they remind us that all of life is meant to be lived as a sort of upward trajectory toward God, toward his presence. And this is true for us today. And I think that this is where you and I can probably really latch on to the Psalms of Ascent in a unique way. Because all of us journey through life, every single one of us. But if you're a follower of Jesus, life is not meant to be just an aimless wandering. Actually, life is not meant to be an aimless wandering for any one of us. But for those of us who've made the decision, I'm going to follow Jesus, for those of us who've decided to be his disciples, uniquely, we are not out here, fingers crossed, just kind of hoping for the best, hoping that at the end of this thing, we're going to land somewhere good. In declaring that the Christian life is a pilgrimage, we're naming something very important. We are saying, in essence, I am headed somewhere, that I have a destination in mind, that I am not aimless, that I am in pursuit of Jesus. And my pilgrimage, however long or however short it may be, it will end in his presence. I know where it will end, and it will be in front of my God. This is what the Psalms of Ascent do. They give us language. They give us language to pray that reminds us that life is a journey, And it's not always easy, but life is a journey toward the presence of the living God and that this is our ultimate aim. So Psalm 121 then, it wants us to specifically remember some key things as we journey along the way. It's calling us, if we read through it, it's calling us to remember certain specific things in the midst of our individual journeys. And so there's two of them, and I'm gonna call them reminders for our pilgrimage, okay? So Psalm 21 wants us to remember two things. Maybe arguably more, but for today, just two things. Number one, that God is our helper. And number two, that God is our keeper. So first, Psalm 121 wants us to remember that God is our helper. Let's look back at verses uh, one and two. It says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Okay, so right off the bat, this Psalm names something very important for those who are on pilgrimage to God, okay? It names that we are still going to need help. 
And it does this kind of in a roundabout way because it says, where does my help come from? By asking that question and then saying, my help comes from the Lord, what it does is it's, it's kind of acknowledging in a roundabout sort of way. If we're going to need help, the indication there then is that we're somehow in trouble. That even though we've decided on following Jesus, life will still throw curveballs at us. That there's going to be a point in our individual journeys where we're still going to need very real help. Eugene Peterson uh, wrote a book. It's called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And it's actually all about the Psalms of Ascent. I highly recommend it. It's very, very good. But he says this. He says, for many, the first great surprise of the Christian life is in the form of troubles we meet. And I think it does kind of surprise us maybe or catch us off guard. I don't know if it's fair to say that we think that that if you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, that once you start following him, that you just assume that from there on in, life is just gonna be perfect. Because I don't, I don't know anybody that that's happened to. I don't know that we actually assume that. Probably we don't really think that, but maybe it's fair to say that we at least think it'd be a little easier, right? Maybe I'm just speaking for myself. That I just thought it'd be a little easier. Like there'd be a little less trouble, a little less conflict, a little less loss, a little less hardship. And so Psalm 121 essentially acknowledges something that none of us love. It acknowledges that we still have trouble in this life, even though we've decided to do it in tandem with God, that we're still gonna have trouble. Like what in the world? But notice what it says. And I think, that, I think Psalm 121 does kind of like a funny good news, bad news type of situation. Um, it says, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Okay, bad news, there's going to be trouble in your life, in our life. We are assured of it. There are going to be times when we're still going to need help because none of us get through this thing unscathed. All of us are going to walk out with scars. That's the bad news. But the good news is that we have help and our help comes from the Lord. Our help has a name. God is our helper. We're not out here without help. Um, interestingly, do you see the word Lord there in verse two? It's in all caps. Uh, okay, last week, depending on which service you're in, we did talk about this, but I'll kind of bring us all in on this. That word in all caps, it's the Hebrew word Yahweh, and it's the personal name of God. And this is the name that distinguished him from all the other ancient Near East gods of the time. Because at the time the Psalms were written, uh, during, the, whenever, um, during the, ancient, sorry, the ancient Near East, it was a polytheistic culture, which meant that they worshipped a lot of different gods. And so all the nations surrounding Israel, it was their regular practice to worship and pray and to look to either man-made gods or to false gods. They would deify all sorts of things, the sun, the moon, the stars, the mountains. Like, you saw it. Like, well, let's worship it. Let's see if that thing will help us. Let's pray to that thing. Maybe that thing will help us. And so this is what the surrounding nations would do. They would pray to other things in order to get help or what they hoped would be help. If there was famine or there was drought or, or a family member was sick or dying or you fill in the blank, whatever the problem was, they would go to these gods for help. And they never actually knew if they were going to get it. And if that one didn't work, well, let's try that one. Now let's try two at the same time. Let's just, we're just, let's just try all of them. Let's just go for all of them and see if, if any of these are going to help us. They just never knew. So what's unique is that the people of God, this tiny nation of Israel, they would have understood then that when this psalm, and actually all of the psalms of a sense refer to Yahweh, 
But when this Psalm 121 specifically says, my help comes from Yahweh, they were essentially declaring, I know who my God is, and it is Yahweh, and it is not these mundane, man-made, lesser gods. They were rejecting all of the religious and cultural narratives of the day and declaring that though all of the people around them might look elsewhere for help, that they would look to Yahweh. It was like a stake in the ground for them. It was a totally counter-cultural way of living. And the question for us then, all these many years later in our 21st century context is, when you and I come up against the stuff of life, when we are in trouble, when something happens, who do we look to? What do we look to? What's the thing? I think we all have some sort of like built-in knee-jerk reaction. Is it to go to self-help books? Or to check podcasts out? Maybe there's a podcast for that. Is it Google? Is it friends, a friend group, to help us problem solve? I'm, I do that all the time. Call one of your closest people. Help me troubleshoot this thing. Is what I said the right thing? Did I respond the right way? You want somebody to talk through things with. Now, I wanna say none of these things are bad in and of themselves. That's, that's not what I'm saying. But I do think that they can become unhealthy if those are the things that we run to first every time. If those are the primary source of our help and running then to the living God for help becomes some secondary optional side thought that occurs to us way later in the game, that we don't think of him as our primary source of help. But the thing that Psalm 121 calls us to remember is that our help does come from God. From these other things, not bad, not wrong, but what's the primary thing? Who do we run to first? And if we fast forward to the New Testament, we see the same thing. And Jesus gives our helper a name, and it's the Holy Spirit. Jesus told us that after he died, and then he rose again and then ascended into heaven, that he wouldn't just leave us out here on our own. He promised that he would send the Holy Spirit, which is the Spirit of God, to be our helper. Uh, John 14, verses 25 and 26 says it this way. These, this is, these are Jesus' words. He says, these things I have spoken to you while remaining with you. But the helper, notice that capital H there, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and remind you of all that I said to you. The helper is the Holy Spirit. And actually that word helper that's used here is, is the Greek word parakletos. And it's a word that means to be called to someone's aid, to be an advocate or, or a counselor, a comforter or a helper. This is the role, this is the job of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is, is the third person in the Trinity. There's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But the unique role of the Holy Spirit is to be our helper here on earth, our advocate, our counselor, our comforter. And in real time, by the way, like the Holy Spirit helps us in real time when we call on him. Not just in the five minutes that you might set aside in the morning to pray or five minutes a night before you go to bed, but like in real time as you're moving throughout your day, as you come into problems at work or in your family or with your children or as you're driving or you come up against stuff that overwhelms you, the Holy Spirit is there in real time waiting in the wings, ready to be called on. He is there and he wants 
wants to help us. He wants to help us when we're confused. He wants to help us when we are weak. He wants to help us when we are facing trouble. He wants us to call on him and get in the habit of calling on him on a regular basis. Um, Alpha is something that we run here a few times a year. But Alpha tells a story of, and for those of you who aren't familiar with Alpha, it's a great place to go and explore faith and ask questions about God and Jesus and, and all the things. But Alpha tells this great story of uh, Derek Redmond. So some of you may have heard it. But Derek Redmond is a British runner, and he uh, ran in the 1992 Olympics. And in one of his, uh, his races, he tore his hamstring. And he was devastating, you know, Olympics, you're training your whole life for this thing, right? And so the, the moment of recognizing what's happened and that he's not going to finish, all the other racers had blown past him, of course. So he gets up on the track, he's devastated, and he decides he wants to, to try to finish this race, but he's barely able to walk. So he's just kind of hobbling, limping along, crying, tears coming down his face. And suddenly, as, as this is happening, you can kind of see, if you watch the footage of it, you can see this man kind of emerge out on the track, running towards him, and it's his dad. And his dad has broken through security, and security's trying to wave him off, and he's telling them, no, this is my son, this is my son. And so he runs up to his injured son. He comes up underneath him and puts his arm around his son's waist, and he helps his son limp along to the finish line and finish his race. And I think that this is a very good picture of what the Holy Spirit as our helper wants to do with us, what he does do with us. He's not just standing idly by, inactive to us. He's not just out there in the crowd, just observing like everybody else. He is ready at all times, like a good father, to jump in and help us. And you know, sometimes that can mean doing the miracle thing. Because I think, here's what I think. I think that when we say, God, I need help, what we mean is I need help right now, like in this moment. And I need the instant thing done. I need the miracle. And you know what? Sometimes that happens. And aren't we so grateful when that, I'm so grateful when that happens. But if you've lived a life of faith long enough, you probably know that's not always the way it is. But sometimes the Holy Spirit helping us means he could give us a miracle when we're facing trouble, but I, I think more often than not, what usually happens is that he comes alongside of us and he puts his arm around us and he helps us up and he helps us as we limp our way in the journey of life until we can walk again, until hopefully maybe we can run again and we finish our race. If I could echo the words of Psalm 121 and just offer this up to you to remember that God is your helper, capital H. He's your helper and he wants to help you. Ask him, let him be your first go-to, not just your Hail Mary, not just the last thing you go to, not the last thing you remember to try. Don't go to all the other little things first. Go to him first. Let him be your knee-jerk reaction, if I could even call it that. Build that muscle of faith, that muscle of prayer. God gave us the Holy Spirit as a gift, as our helper. Why would we not call on him? So that's the first thing. God is our helper. Second thing Psalm 121 calls us to remember along the journey of life is that God is our keeper. 
Uh, look back at the text. I'm gonna read verses three through eight. It says, he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Okay, the word watch or watches was repeated quite a few times in there. And it's actually the Hebrew word shamar. And it's a word that means to keep or to guard. And so actually many, depending on the translation you have, but many, many English translations use that word keep. They don't use the word watch, they use the word keep. And I think it actually give us, gives us a better uh, composite picture of what the original author was trying to do and what the original Hebrew was getting at. So what I'm gonna do is just listen for it, but I'm gonna read Psalm 121 again. We're not gonna have it up on the screen, but um, I'm gonna read Psalm 121 again, and I'm going to read this to you using the word keep this time, because I want you to just, just to hear it and feel it, okay? So, he will not let your foot slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. Indeed, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord keeps you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. The word keep is used there six times in six short verses. I hope you kind of felt that repetition because as much as these are songs, these are also, this is like poetry. The the author wants you to feel the repetition of keep, keep, keep. If Psalm 121 is telling us anything, it wants to tell us that God is our keeper, that he guards us, that he he has got us. I think of that song, he's got the whole world in his hands. Anybody remember that song? He's got the whole world in his hands. Thank you, Daniel. He remembers the two of us. He's got you and me, brother, you and me, sister, in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got us. He's keeping us safe. Now, I think that this is potentially where some of us could feel tension. At least I know I did whenever I was working through this this week. I was like, really? Like, he doesn't ever let our foot slip. Really? It says that he will keep us from all harm. All harm? Really, God? Because many of us would say, just by our own felt experience, that that is not the way our lives have panned out. I've felt some harm. I've experienced some harm. We can probably think of times where we've actually thought to ourselves, well, where were you when this was happening then? Where were you? Did you not see that thing? So then, so then what is this psalm saying? Well, we already know, because we've already talked about it, that it begins, verses one and two, by acknowledging that we're gonna have trouble. It's like already said, you're gonna need a helper. So then what this second part, verses three through eight, cannot be saying is that we will never experience heartbreak or hardship or trouble. It cannot be saying that. So what I wanna suggest to you, Psalm 121, is prompting us to pray that in our own personal walk with the Lord is this. We pray when, not if, but when we experience hardship. God, you will keep me and you will keep me close. We know, we know that Christians still experience heartbreak and devastating doctor's reports. We get phone calls that we had that just shock us. We experience 
overwhelming betrayal. We experience all the things. But what the psalmist is doing here is saying that when these things happen, they do not have the power to overtake us. That none of these things will be able to separate us from the living God. None of them can. I like how Eugene Peterson describes it. Again, I'm quoting from his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And he says this. He says, no literature is more realistic and honest in facing harsh facts of life than the Bible. At no time is there the faintest suggestion that the life of faith exempts us from difficulties. What is promised is preservation from all the evil in them. All the water in the oceans cannot sink a ship unless it gets inside, nor can all the trouble in the world harm us unless it gets within us. That is the promise of Psalm 121. God guards you from every evil. None of the things that happen to you, none of the trouble you encounter have any power to get between you and God. Dilute his grace in you. Divert his will from you. And I would add, and keep you from his hands for eternity. The declaration of Psalm 121 is that nothing can separate us from the God who keeps us. Nothing. And I think that this is a bit of a mystery. The fact that followers of Jesus can face the tragedies of life but somehow still be kept intact by the living God. And it's not just theoretical. I've, I've, I've experienced this myself. And I have just known too many people with the same testimony that God has kept them through whatever they were going through. God has kept them. Jerry, you can go ahead and come on up. It's a mystery to me. I was, I was like kind of going through the Rolodex of my mind of thinking of all the stories well before I was ever involved in church ministry, just growing up as a kid in church and seeing and hearing the stories of people, knowing people's lives and stories. It's a mystery to me that all of these years, I'm, I'm creeping up on 40, that I have so many stories in my mind of my own experience, but other people's experience who have the same story that somehow there's this mystery in the fact that God has kept them. It's a mystery to me that a woman who, who lost her husband and her two only sons to cancer could still say, my God has not forgotten me. He sees me. He has his eye on me and he has kept me. It's a mystery to me that a spouse can experience heartbreaking betrayal and still say, my God has not left me. He has kept me safe. It is a mystery to me that I have seen parents who've had to bury their children, heartbreaking circumstances, and that somehow, once they were able to peel themselves up off the ground, they were able to say of their God, he has kept me, he has not forgotten me, he is faithful, and I will trust him still for the rest of my pilgrimage. He's worthy of it. He has kept me. It is the beauty and the mystery of life with Jesus. I do not understand it all. Being able to face the stuff of life and not come out unscarred, but undeterred, it blows my mind. Romans 8, 
It says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing gets to separate us from the living God. No hardship here on earth gets the authority over us for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. You know, if we could plot out our lives on some sort of a map, I think that we would all hope that the way we could draw out our lives is that it would just be this constant upward trajectory, this constant upward movement. But it just never is, is it? Like, I don't know anybody that that's their story. Life has got sharp highs and lows that can confound us and surprise us. And sometimes it doesn't just feel like highs and lows. It can feel like going backwards for a little while, maybe doing some circles and loop-de-doops for a little while until you figure out your way forward again. You can feel like you're ascending and then going down again. And this is the stuff of life. But no matter what the plot points are of your individual life, if you're a follower of Jesus, the journey that we are on has a destination. We are en route to him. The long arc of our lives lands at him. And one day, your journey, my journey, it will end in his presence. And we will see his face and it will be beautiful. And I think that we'll look at all of the different plot points of our lives, especially the low stuff, the confusing stuff, the stuff that really threw us for a loop. And we'll go, oh, you were worth it. It's a mystery, but you were worth it. In the meantime, in the meantime, Psalm 121 reminds us that God is our helper, capital H. And he will keep us until the day that we see him face to face. I'm gonna invite you to stand. And we are gonna read Psalm 121 out loud all together. And uh, just so you know, this is said it a few times, but these are prayers. So we're gonna say it together, corporate prayer. Let this come from your heart. We'll start at, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Here we go. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. 
He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore.